Good morning and welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are today's top stories. The truce between Israel and Hamas ends with rocket fire toward Israel and airstrikes on Hamas targets. Over 100 hostages are still in Gaza. What are the next steps to get them home? We bring in an expert to get some analysis. Takeaways from last night's debate between Governors Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis will go over what they sparred about in case you missed it. Congressman Dean Phillips is speaking out after being left off the Florida primary ballot. Hear what the DNC says about his claims. Is America asleep at the wheel as the Chinese Communist Party infiltrates U.S. society? We have new Capitol Hill testimony on the growing danger called the CCP. A showdown in Texas. Attorney General Ken Paxton accuses Pfizer of inflating how well its COVID vaccine works. Here are the details about a new lawsuit. After years of delay, Tesla is finally rolling out the Cybertruck to customers. We have more details from the host of NTD Business. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome and happy Friday, everyone. Today is December 1st. Yeah, and it's just such a shame that the truce deal has ended. And if those explosions near IDF troops on day five foreshadowed anything, it was this. Right. Uh, well, yeah, the horror of the wars begin again. But on the other hand, you know, Hamas has less opportunity to regroup. But um, let's see. So we're starting off with breaking news, of course, what we just mentioned. Israel's military says it's back on the offensive in Gaza after Hamas violated the terms of the deal to pause fighting. Israel says a rocket launched from Gaza was intercepted by its air defense system about an hour before the deadline. It expired at midnight Eastern time. Sirens in Israeli communities and cities near Gaza have been heard blaring since then. The pause in negotiations broke down after Hamas started producing lists of hostages with less than 10 women and children. The terrorist group claims it couldn't locate enough of them. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more of the latest updates on the war. Israel resumed airstrikes on Hamas targets in Gaza Friday morning as negotiations to extend the fragile truce wore out. The IDF says its targets remain Hamas terrorists, strongholds, and rocket launch sites. The terrorist group released just eight Israeli hostages Thursday, with two Russian-Israeli hostages that were released Wednesday reportedly accepted as part of the deal. One of the lucky few released Thursday was 21-year-old French-Israeli citizen Mia Shem, an emotional reunion for the woman and her family after being held hostage for over seven weeks. The monstrosity of what Hamas is doing is exactly what we've been saying, like ISIS, we're deeply concerned. However, what I can tell you is we never would have reached the hostage deal that we reached most recently if we had not operationally pressed them militarily on the battlefield. Like President Biden said, Hamas could give a damn about these people. They will only respond to pressure. We are once back again out to destroy them so that they can never commit this crime in Israel again and along the way bring our people home. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on his visit in Israel Thursday declared Hamas cannot be allowed to keep control of Gaza or retain the capacity to repeat the carnage of October 7th, but emphasized the need to minimize civilian casualties. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, after meeting the top diplomat, vowed to continue fighting until Hamas is destroyed. The White House on Thursday clarified it does not support a ceasefire, but would like to see more operational pauses. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby on Thursday addressed the terrorist attack in Jerusalem, saying although it didn't technically violate the deal because it was outside Gaza, it was a stark reminder of the type of enemy Israel faces. At least three people were killed. Hamas has claimed credit. We obviously condemn this terrorist attack, this heinous violence. Just another example uh, of the kind of threat that the Israeli people and the Israeli nation are under by, by Hamas. Negotiators assert they intend to press on to get more of the 140-some hostages held by Hamas out. Qatar's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said both sides are continuing talks with the aim of another pause. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And for more on the latest on the Israel-Hamas war, we bring in Colonel Richard Kemp. He's retired British Army commander. Good morning, Colonel. It's really good to see you. Uh, first, what more is known about what went wrong with the negotiations to extend the truce? 
Well, I think there was some hope and expectation, perhaps, that um, that the uh, that the negotiators would try and uh, press Hamas to release more hostages. Um, clearly, that didn't happen, and I believe that it may well be because it shows, in some ways, that Hamas is not fully in control of the, the areas of the Gaza Strip they're still supposed to be running, uh, because there are numerous other terrorist groups there who may not wish to cooperate with Hamas over this who will be holding some of the kidnapped hostages. So I think the key issue here is Hamas's weakness. It's been ground down by the IDF over the period of the war um, and, and, and was so weak that it insisted on a ceasefire itself. Uh, and I think that the, the inability to find and release more hostages prove that they remain weak. So that's interesting what you're saying. You're saying they are not in control anymore because of the war? And that's why they cannot find the hostages, maybe? I think they're, they're still in control of large elements, but clearly not the whole network. There are about several different uh, terrorist organizations in Gaza who took part in the 7th of October massacre and who kidnapped hostages. Uh, and they don't necessarily answer to Hamas. And it may be that Hamas is losing whatever grip it had on those groups. I see. So how much cooperation do you, to dig it a little deeper here, do you think there is between those different groups and Hamas? And also, I think civilians were supposedly also um, keeping some hostages. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a limited amount of cooperation, but there's not a kind of uh, command structure, shall we say, where Hamas says to Islamic Jihad, for example, the second biggest terrorist organization in Gaza, you do this, you do that, and they necessarily follow it. They will decide if it's in their interest to do so or not. These other groups may decide that, that holding hostages in their own interests is, is uh, something they want to do rather than release them under a deal that was made with Hamas. And you're right as well. We've had reports that uh, UNRWA doctors and, um, and oh, sorry, UNRWA teachers and, and pediatrician, a pediatrician was actually holding some of these hostages um, in, inside Gaza. And, and of course, that would make these individuals competent. It would make them, I, I believe, a legitimate target for attack by Israel. And there are plenty of other civilians inside Gaza who are not necessarily fully signed up Hamas terrorists, but help Hamas and cooperate with Hamas. And in that case, they're also a legitimate target for attack. Right. Lots of unknowns. And moving on to a different topic, many were worried that Hamas can be regrouping during this time. So how, just how valuable do you think these seven days are for Hamas for this purpose? Well, I think the reason that Hamas agreed to release some of the hostages under very unfavorable terms for them, um, and yes, they, they secured three of, three of their own terrorists to be released for each Israeli hostage release, which is sounds like a good deal, but it's not a good deal for Hamas. Uh, the last time that Hamas released Israeli, uh, an Israeli hostage, they did so in exchange for 1,027 Hamas terrorists, which is more the kind of ratio they're looking for. And it shows that they, they were on the back foot. And, and now they're also, they also continue to be on the back foot. Uh, you know, they, they, they very clearly fear the resumption of hostilities by Israel. Uh, and which was a reason they pressed for the ceasefire in the first place. Uh, and I think they, they, will, they will have used the seven days to try and consolidate their position to prepare for Israeli attacks. Many of them had to move from the north to the south after Israel's bombardment of the north, and they will be looking to uh, co consolidate their positions there. But on the other hand, I don't think that's going to be a major advantage for them because Israel, the IDF, will inexorably advance on them and destroy very large numbers of them. Mm. But on the other hand, also, the IDF has had a lot of time. They've had time to evaluate the war as it ran so far, look at the way they've operated, look at what right. Hamas has been doing, learn lessons from that, prepare and train their people, as well as collecting intelligence on Hamas uh, right. over that period right. of time. So I think the benefit for Hamas is not necessarily that great. International pressure seems to be growing for Israel because Blinken was also asking for more humanitarian civilian protection plans. What more do you think is there for Israel to do to protect those civilian lives without accidentally protecting Hamas? Well, it's a very tough situation because there's a very large number of civilians 
now in southern Gaza who have been moved from the north. Um, and, and the IDF has been trying to get them to move into designated safe areas. Uh, and hopefully that many of them will do so, which will allow is the IDF more of a safe run at Hamas. But there's undoubtedly there's going to be civil, more civilian casualties despite the efforts that the IDF make, because Hamas will ensure that many of the people stay in place and act as human shields for them. So it, it's going to be a very bloody fight. And unfortunately, quite a few uh, civilians will die, as unfortunately also I think quite a few IDF soldiers are going to die in the process, as well as Hamas terrorists. Thank you so much for your insights today and your patience, of course. Colonel Richard Kemp, I appreciate your time this morning. The New York Times is reporting Israeli officials had the battle plan for the Hamas attack more than a year before it happened. And Didi could not independently verify the information. The report says Israelis allegedly dismissed the battle plan, considering it too difficult for Hamas to try to carry out. The 40-page blueprint codenamed by Israeli authorities as Jericho Wall did not have a set date. But it was later executed by the Hamas terror group on October 7th. According to the Times, it is unclear whether Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu or other top political leaders saw the document or how the document was obtained. The October 7th attack led to the deaths of about 1,200 people. Former Israeli Ambassador Michael Oren and a woman whose friends and family members were kidnapped by Hamas react. You get a lot of warnings. Uh, of this nature in Israel, we are in a terrible neighborhood uh, and surrounded by enemies on all sides. And so warnings are coming in every day and frankly, all night. And there's a lot of fog and you have to see through the fog and see, okay, what is the real threat here? And it's not always easy. I don't blame the IDF, near, neither the, the commanders, um, but we are very much heartbroken by what happened. Um, and, and in many ways, I think it's very important to say that the only one to blame is the terror organization Hamas with the atrocities and, and massacre and kidnapped our loved ones on October 7th. And moving to break, Governors Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom locked horns over policy last night in their Fox News debate. We'll look at a few takeaways and the mudslinging from the governor's grudge match. Democratic presidential hopeful Dean Phillips was left off the Florida primary ballot. Here is reaction to the news. The Florida chairman of the GOP is being investigated for an alleged sexual assault. Governor Ron DeSantis weighs in on the situation. Welcome back. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and California Governor Gavin Newsom had their Fox News debate last night. The great red versus blue state debate focused on the governor's policies and how they handled issues like the pandemic lockdowns, abortion, crime and taxes. Newsom fired back at DeSantis after being called a lockdown. Governor saying Florida quarantines came into effect before California's. DeSantis also criticized the California governor for a recent bill he signed that allows minors to travel to the state for gender-changing procedures. The fiery 90-minute debate was a bit messy at times. Here's a snippet from last night's event. Well, this is an app where they plot the human feces that are found on the streets of San Francisco. And you see how almost the whole thing is covered because that is what has happened in one of the previous greatest cities this country's ever had. Human feces is now a, a fact of life, except when a communist dictator comes to town. Then they cleaned up the streets. They lined the streets with Chinese flags. They didn't put American flags there. They cleaned everything up. So they're willing to do it for a communist dictator, but they're not willing to do it for their own people. So let's break down the battle of wits between Governors DeSantis and Newsom. Please welcome Aaron Call, the Director of Debate for the University of Michigan Debate Program. He joins us live for some discussion. Thanks for coming on the show, Aaron. Did Newsom portray himself as this cool, under-pressure, media-savvy politician when duking it out on COVID or when defending himself from attacks from DeSantis and Hannity? 
No, I think he, he showed himself to be uh, pretty well and uh, confirmed that he's not going to be running in this cycle in 2024, but I think he definitely has uh, aspirations for 2028. And one of the things that he's been saying is that Democrats shouldn't fear going on Fox News, kind of in a hostile environment. Uh, you know, being in a debate that's moderated by Sean Hannity should appeal to uh, conservative, moderate voters. And I think he kind of uh, hung in there toe to toe with DeSantis and um, is going to be a formidable uh, fixture of the Democratic Party going forward in future elections. Right. And was DeSantis's visual aid of the map that purports to show the plot of the appearance of feces on the street of San Francisco well played? I don't think so. Um, you know, it, typically in these debates, uh, visual aids are prohibited and it's supposed to be kind of an exchange of ideas between the candidates. And so you don't see this in a typical debate. And when DeSantis debates again in Alabama next week or in Iowa in January, um, those won't be kind of part of the rules. So practice like that, um, external visual aid is something he's never going to be able to use either in a primary or general election debate. So, you know, it may have scored some kind of cheap shots in the moment. But, you know, sometimes, too, you have to sit back and think that these are people's lives. And, you know, homelessness is an issue both in California and Florida. And um, I thought that he just kind of uh, that was one of the lowlights, actually, I thought of the night, even if it may have you know scored some short term uh, political gain, um, you know, presenting a, a, a solution to, to homelessness or pointing to something he did in Florida to decrease those numbers or those numbers being better than California. I think the time would have been better. Spent. Looks like our signal with Aaron has been uh, cut off here, but maybe he's he's back. Aaron, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. There, there we go. So, Aaron, just out of curiosity, what happens if someone breaks the rules of a debate? Is there a deba demerit point or what happens? No, not at all. And, and this, this debate really didn't have any rules. I mean, Hannity was very clear, kind of saying he didn't want to be, you know, a hall monitor and wanted to let the candidates just kind of do a free flowing thing. And you know, and candidates um, in their campaigns kind of in advance agree to rules. But but no, there's no real enforcement. And ultimately, it's the viewers that are to decide. And so we'll have to see in the coming days what the ratings look like, who thought people won. So um, uh, you know, kind of it's it's a it's a free for all, and and the candidates are free to do uh, whatever they like. They did inter interrupt each other, and so we'll kind of have to see what the uh, viewing public and the voters thought of it. Yeah, un interrupt each other at times. It was unintelligible what they were saying because there's so much crosstalk. And then apparently, being frustrated, Hannity said that he's not a potted plant. Now, do you think that Fox News host Kaylee McEnany hit the nail on the head when he when she said that DeSantis came out on top on this one? <laughs> I think he probably did, and it's really not a surprise. You know, he's um, definitely more prepared for this kind of debate. He's already been in three primary debates. He's been practicing for the one next week in Alabama. Uh, I thought he afforded himself well in the first three debates. I mean, I think that uh, people thought Nikki Haley probably did the best, and her campaign has been on the ascent. But DeSantis is a much better debater than he was previously. You know, he got into some high-profile debates with Andrew Gillum. Uh, Charlie Crist, and even in the primary back in, against Adam Putman. And so he's hired a high-profile debate coach, and he's really improved in, in every debate. And he had a lot more riding on this. He wants to increase some momentum for his campaign going into Iowa in January. He's been involved with these more frequently, and there's he has more short-term impact to this. And so uh, and also, um, he was, uh, you know, had really had the support of Hannity. A lot of the questions put Newsom on the defensive. Um, they were things that really framed Florida in a positive role against California. So Newsom did have a lot of things going against him. And I do think DeSantis uh, afforded himself well and, and probably did win the debate uh, last night. No doubt some home field media advantage with some of those softballs. Aaron Call, the director of debate for the University of Michigan debate program. Thank you. Anytime. GOP presidential candidates are set to face off in the fourth debate next Wednesday, December 6th. It will take place at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa starting at 7 p.m. local time. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley have qualified to be on stage. Tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy is on the verge of making the cut. Chris Christie is struggling to meet polling requirements, which have a Monday deadline. Former President Trump will not be there. He's attending a MAGA fundraiser in Florida instead. Congressman Dean Phillips is accusing Florida Democrats of disenfranchising voters in the state. That comes after he and other challengers were excluded from a list of official presidential candidates. The Minnesota Democrat is running a long-shot primary challenge against President Biden. 
During the state party convention in October, Florida Democrats voted to submit only Biden's name to the Secretary of State. That was far ahead of a November 30th deadline. A Florida Democratic Party spokesman says the committee did not vote on other names. Under state law, if a candidate is running unopposed in a primary, the contest won't appear on the ballot. Florida Democrats say they follow the standard process for nominating candidates. Phillips said, quote, Americans would expect the absence of democracy in Tehran, not Tallahassee. He called on President Biden to condemn the move and address it immediately. The chair of the Florida Democratic Party said Phillips' comments were unbecoming of someone running for higher office. Florida police are investigating the chairman of the state's Republican Party over an allegation of sexual battery. An attorney for Christian Ziegler said his client has been fully cooperative with every request from the Sarasota Police Department. The alleged victim told police in October that the reported incident took place at a home in Sarasota. However, details of the alleged assault were redacted in the police report obtained by CNN. No names, including Ziegler's, could be seen in the redacted copy. The Sarasota Police Department said no charges were filed, but could not provide further details, citing an active investigation. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is asking Ziegler to step down as GOP chair to focus on resolving the charges. DeSantis said Ziegler is innocent until proven guilty, but in his words, quote, we just can't have a party chair that is under that type of scrutiny. Former President Trump and his lawyers are no longer allowed to comment about court staff in his New York civil fraud trial. A New York appeals court reinstated his gag order yesterday. The judge in the civil fraud trial, Arthur Engeron, imposed the gag order on October 3rd. It came after Trump accused Engeron tops top clerk of political bias in a post on Truth Social. An appeals court judge temporarily paused the order on November 16th. The order was paused while Trump's lawyers appealed, arguing it infringed on his First Amendment right. Today, the appeals court said it should be restored while the official appeal is pending. Judge Engron warned he plans to enforce the gag order vigorously. An attorney for Trump says the appeals court ruling marks a tragic day for the law. And Congressman George Santos could face expulsion as a vote for his removal is expected this morning. Stay tuned to hear more details. A prestigious university allegedly doing the Chinese Communist Party's bidding. Revealing testimony on Capitol Hill highlights the dangers of the CCP to American security and freedom. A statewide ban on TikTok in Montana has been blocked. Hear why the judge stopped the first of its kind ban in the U.S. A new virus outbreak in China leading U.S. lawmakers to raise concerns over transparency. And a whistleblower reveals the CCP is trying to downplay the situation. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene takes her foot off the gas in her impeachment efforts against DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Find out why she withdrew her articles for now. Good morning and welcome back. Congressman George Santos could make history today as the sixth member of the House of Representatives ever to be expelled. The call for his removal comes after a scathing report from the House Ethics Committee. A vote is expected this morning. Here's what's at stake for the New York representative. Well, good morning, everybody. Embattled Congressman George Santos could soon be expelled from Congress, the harshest form of punishment for a lawmaker in the House. If I leave, the bullies take place. This is bullying. The New York congressman holding a combative news conference Thursday, just hours before House members debated whether to expel him. He is a perpetrator of a massive fraud on his constituents and the American people. Do you solemnly swear? Since he was sworn in earlier this year, Santos has been the center of scrutiny, accused of lying about everything from his education to his family background. The congressman is in serious legal trouble too. Santos has pleaded not guilty to 23 federal charges, including allegations of fraud related to COVID-19 unemployment benefits, misusing campaign funds and lying about his personal finances on the House disclosure reports. But he continues to refuse to resign. I will not 
stand by quietly. This isn't the, the first attempt reserves. to remove Santos from Congress, gentlemen. but the push is now being motivated by a scathing report released by the House Ethics Committee. It found substantial evidence that he engaged in fraudulent conduct. Only five members have ever been expelled from the chamber. Three for fighting for the Confederacy during the Civil War. The other two convicted of crimes. Santos has yet to face trial, leaving some Republicans concerned about expelling him before he's convicted in a court of law. Mr. Santos is setting a very dangerous precedent. The House is expected to vote Friday. A two-thirds majority vote is needed to expel Santos. The rising threat of the Chinese Communist Party. Lawmakers heard new testimony on Capitol Hill about U.S. interests under attack. And today's Daniel Monahan has the highlights. The Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party Chairman Mike Gallagher warned about TikTok becoming a primary news source for younger generations, with their worldviews potentially being shaped by the CCP. TikTok is perhaps the largest malign influence operation ever conducted. Allowing a CCP-controlled entity to become the dominant media platform, the dominant news platform in America, would be a huge mistake, in my opinion. It would be as if, in 1962, at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, we allowed Pravda and the KGB to purchase the New York Times, the Washington Post, ABC, and NBC, and that probably understates the scope, uh, the scope, the scope of the problem. Gallagher says there's clear evidence that parent company ByteDance has done the Communist Party's bidding. He discussed how the CCP forced ByteDance to shut down its news platform because it went against its core socialist values. And in a groveling self-criticism, the founder of ByteDance apologized for failing to respect socialist core values and deviating from public opinion guidance and failing to realize that socialist core values are the prerequisite to technology. Following this, ByteDance announced a new strategy to hire 4,000 extra censors and integrate socialist core values into its technology. Representative Seth Moulton also touched on the online threat of the CCP. But today, China is attacking our businesses, our citizens, our kids, through the internet every single day. Former State Department official Miles Yu says the CCP is strongly influencing Chinese citizens abroad through buying major media outlets. Hundreds of TV stations, newspapers, magazines overseas outside of China, uh, almost all of them are now bought by the Chinese Communist Party. There's a recent study uh, indicated that the, the only network that is not really com uh, controlled by the Chinese Communist Party is the Falun Gong-related media uh, outlets. Congresswoman Michelle Steele highlighted the problem with universities taking CCP money. UC Berkeley received $220 million from CCP, never reported. Miles Yu also touched on what he views as the corrupt relationship of prestigious universities like Harvard with the CCP. They conduct a survey on behalf of Chinese government uh, to prove that 93% of Chinese people support the Chinese Communist Party. So use Harvard's prestige to support the Chinese propaganda. Yu says Harvard didn't even do their own research. Instead, subcontracting a Chinese company in Beijing to do it. Yu discusses what the CCP most fears about America. It doesn't matter which party is in charge. Democrats or Republicans is not a policy per se. It's the very existence of the United States that could inspire Chinese people. Uh, that's what they fear about most. Testimony was also heard on the CCP's infiltration of sensitive infrastructure. For all the ports, same thing too. They're controlling our uh, cranes and they're controlling data tracking systems. While Congressman Gallagher is calling on the Biden administration to investigate the Chinese drone company Autel Robotics, Gallagher says Autel is openly affiliated with the People's Liberation Army. The congressman says law enforcement and state and local governments are purchasing and operating Autel drones, potentially exposing sensitive data across the country. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Montana's first-in-the-nation ban on TikTok was blocked yesterday. A U.S. district judge says it's unconstitutional and oversteps state power. Under the law, the China-owned app would be prohibited from operating within state lines with potential fines of $10,000 per day. 
Montana's governor signed it into law in May, saying it was necessary to protect Montana residents' data from the Chinese Communist Party. A TikTok spokesman said the company was pleased the judge, quote, rejected this unconstitutional law. The ban was set to take effect on January 1st. More than half of U.S. states and the federal government have banned TikTok on official devices. Lawmakers are raising transparency concerns over a new virus outbreak in China. A whistleblower recently told the Epoch Times that the Chinese Communist Party is secretly ordering officials to downplay the outbreak, which has overwhelmed hospitals. Congress is now probing the CDC to find out how the agency is responding. Entity's Melina Weiskup reports from Capitol Hill. Overwhelming many hospitals, infections of this pneumonia are spreading quickly among children in China and have now even extended to adults, with medications being useless to help. Chinese reports indicate that the request for medical care is so high that Beijing has been forced to reopen makeshift hospitals just to cope. Here's what the CDC director had to say about this new virus when testifying before a House committee. Correct. Not a novel virus. Again, we have been in, in, in close touch with um, our counterparts in China, um, and that information has been corroborated. And you feel confident that they have China's being transparent with them as for the information that you have? Well, I think, you know, scientific diplomacy is um, incredibly important um, in that part of the world. This comes as an insider account reveals that the rest of the world and even those inside China may be left in the dark about the reality of this new outbreak. A whistleblower told our sister media outlet, The Epoch Times, that the CCP leader Xi Jinping has actually ordered officials to downplay reporting of this new respiratory illness and to avoid using the term COVID-19. They're not forthcoming. They don't want to lose face. And as a result, people die. And so we've got to keep an eye on it. That being said, I mean, we still have the same problem we had in some sense with COVID, which is like the data coming out of China is so opaque. There's no transparency. And that's what makes it hard to analyze what the risk is beyond China's borders. The Energy and Commerce Committee has asked the CDC to be on guard about this new outbreak and to better prepare to provide more transparency into the true nature of the virus. They didn't tell us the truth during COVID. They held back on what was happening probably uh, for weeks, if not months, which resulted in a worldwide pandemic. So I'm skeptical also about what's happening in China and we need to know what, what it is. Now the Energy and Commerce Committee is requesting the CDC to answer a long list of questions on the virus by December 13th, including things such as if the CCP has tried to withhold or delay providing information about this virus and what information, if any, has the CDC received from China on the virus. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene withdrew a second attempt to impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas yesterday. Greene says she has been assured a House committee would move forward on it instead. The Republicans first tried two weeks ago to bring a vote against Mayorkas. Eight GOP members joined Democrats on a vote to send it to committee. Greene says she believes impeaching Mayorkas should be a priority for the new House Speaker. She has vowed to just keep reintroducing the impeachment articles she says Americans will not tolerate Republicans continuing to vote it down. The House passed a bill yesterday barring the use of taxpayer money to pay for illegal immigrant housing on federal lands. That would include land belonging to the National Park Service, the Bureau of Land Management and other government agencies. The bill would also revoke the Biden administration's lease with New York City to house illegal immigrants at Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn. The bill passed mostly along party lines in a vote of 224 to 203, with all Republicans and six Democrats voting for it. The Biden administration announced that it strongly opposes the bill. Congresswoman Nicole Meliotakis from New York introduced the bill. She says turning federal parks into camps for unvetted migrants is unfair to surrounding communities and taxpayers who are forced to foot the bill. Meanwhile, another caravan of migrants has nearly arrived at the border. Caravan coordinators estimate this group has almost 3,000 migrants, including 700 children from different nationalities. And coming up, Tesla's new Cybertruck is being delivered to customers now after years of delay. We hear the details from the host of NTD Business. 
and Meta removes thousands of fake accounts from its social media platform, Facebook. Stay tuned to find out what these accounts were for after the break. Welcome back, and the Tesla Cybertruck is here, and that is also why we have Don with us today, Entity Business Host, of course. Tesla CEO Elon Musk hosted a delivery event at the company's factory in Austin, Texas. So Don, I'm not saying I'm going to buy one, but how much do they cost? Well, Kevin, it's going to set you back around $61,000 for the base model, that is. Uh, it's actually over 50% than what CEO Elon Musk had predicted in 2019. He said uh, at, at that time it would cost around 40,000. Uh, so that yeah, that's 50 uh, around 50% more. Um, so the the high end model it's going to set you back a hundred thousand uh, dollars or close to that. Um, I, I mean, just for comparison, the Ford F-150 Lightning around only $50,000, even cheaper than the base model of the Cybertruck. Um, so obviously the Cybertruck is targeting a very specific group of consumers. I mean, it probably won't be widespread uh, in terms of popularity because I mean, the majority of US consumers will not spend $100,000 on a car. Um, it, you know, especially when car loan interest rates right now is, is higher than before. Right. Um, and at the time, uh, people put down one hundred dollars uh, in terms of deposit to hold the reservation for for the for the truck when it comes out in twenty nineteen. But now, if you're interested, you got to put down two hundred and fifty dollars mm -hmm. for the car. Um, but Elon Musk has also said that this car right now is actually not very cost effective because there's uh, problems in ramping up production. So it's going to take anywhere up to eighteen months before the Cybertruck. Uh, is a significant cash flow contributor to the company. $100,000, don't let any mud get on that. <laughs> oh, well, well, because, but it's true, it looks super shiny, it's very unconventional design, I'd say, but really futuristic, so I guess it's gotta be your thing to have one of those. But what are some more notable features? Well, on that point, it, it is made of stainless steel, the body, so you don't have to worry about paint chipping off, so that's a plus. I mean, I guess you will have to worry less about getting mud on it. But let's talk about range first. Uh, I mean, that's not the most exciting feature, but let's just get that out of the way. Around 250 miles for the base model, and it goes up to uh, 340 miles. Um, and let's talk about uh, the fact that it has armor glass. And what that is, is that it can resist um, a baseball at 70 miles per hour. Not that that's going to happen to your car. Uh, but but as well, the doors are bulletproof. So, you know, if you want to go to a, a really uh, intense protest, you can drive in on your Cybertruck. You know, you don't have to worry about anything on that. Uh, and as well, if you want to sleep in the Cybertruck, you can fit in a six foot by three foot uh, bed in it. You know, I mean, it is an expensive car. I mean, if you want to sleep in your car, might as well sleep in style. Baseball resistant. Well, mom always said, don't play ball in the car. So. Well, now you can. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And you know, another interesting thing about this is actually you can get about 130 miles of range in just 15 minutes when you plug that supercharger in wow. there. Wow, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you got anything else for us, Don? Yeah, sure. Uh, Meta actually recently shut down thousands of fake Facebook accounts. The social media giant realized someone in China created them to divide Americans ahead of the next uh, election. The accounts used fake photos, names, and locations in an attempt to look like real Americans weighing in on political issues. Instead of spreading fake content as other networks have done, the accounts shared posts from X made by politicians and news sources. They would pull content from both liberal and conservative, conservative sources, indicating that its goal was not to support one side or the other, but to increase division. This is definitely something to look out for because it hints at the serious threats that online disinformation poses, you know, especially because of the upcoming U.S. election. Yeah, well, it seems like these measures are almost happening regularly, right? This is not the first time we've heard about it. Let's just hope that they keep um, on top of those. Thank you so much, host of NTD Business, Don Ma. Yeah, my pleasure. 
And the Chinese regime is sponsoring cheap trips to China for hundreds of Taiwanese politicians ahead of key elections. That's according to an exclusive report from Reuters. Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen and other officials have warned about election interference from Beijing. China reportedly attempts to sway voters toward candidates seeking closer ties with the regime. Taiwanese law forbids election campaigns from receiving funds from external hostile forces such as China. Prosecutors this week are investigating 22 people in connection with interference. Coming up, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has strong accusations against drug maker Pfizer and its COVID vaccine. Here are the details of a new lawsuit. And phone scammers are on the prowl. NTD investigates a recent scam targeting Spectrum customers. Learn how to keep your information safe and more when we return. Good to have you back. COVID vaccine controversy. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson is suing drug maker Pfizer. He accuses the company of misrepresenting the efficacy of its COVID-19 vaccine. Paxton says it was misleading for Pfizer to claim its vaccine was 95% effective based on relative risk reduction. The Attorney General says the claim came from only two months of clinical trial data. He says the absolute risk reduction showed the vaccine was just 0.85% effective. The attorney general also says the pandemic worsened after people started taking the vaccine. Paxton says Pfizer censored people who threatened to spread what he calls the truth to help the vaccine be adopted. The lawsuit seeks to stop Pfizer from making alleged false claims and silencing, quote, truthful speech about its vaccine. Pfizer responded, saying the information it gave about the vaccine was accurate and science-based. And as the holiday season kicks in into high gear, phone scammers are working overtime to steal your hard-earned money. This time, they're doing it using fake Spectrum customer service websites. Entity's Stephanie Sakal investigates. Some Spectrum customers have fallen victim to this new scam technique. They search for the Spectrum customer service phone number, but instead, several sponsored websites pop up. Whereas the original Spectrum customer service phone number is almost at the bottom. We decided to give it a try and see how far we could take our investigation. So do you need my information to log into my Spectrum account? I just pulled up your account, ma'am. Oh, yeah. He surprisingly knew my first and last name, home address, and how much my balance was for this month. We gave him a fake name and a fake credit card information, and he went ahead and proceeded it without any problem. And you want to uh, set this card on the file, right? Yes. Can I get, will I get a notification for my account? Yes, ma'am, you will also get the notification and you will also get the notification that your bill has been paid for this month. You will receive the confirmation number uh, on your email within the next 24 hours and the payment that we are charging right now with Spectrum, it will be show up on your account. The email confirmation was never received. We also noticed that when we tried to go back to their website, they had already changed their phone number. The person you are trying to reach is currently unavailable. Dennis Johnson, a spokesperson from Spectrum, stated that, quote, This latest customer scam is not specific to Spectrum. We will never ask you to pay your bill via gift card, wire transfer, cryptocurrency, payment apps. This type of scam has been on the rise. Law enforcement from around the country continue to emphasize the need for vigilance and caution when dealing with unfamiliar numbers, highlighting ongoing efforts to combat fraudulent practices. Stephanie Sikal, NTD News. Wow, so they changed their number right away after each call. Slick. Yeah, it looks like we got NTD Project Verity going on here. <laughs> Well, but yeah, it's good to have that, to, uh, to have this investigative report. But also, you know, it's sad because I think once if somebody is not that tech savvy, it's hard to catch on. So Yeah, and when that real call number is located further down in the Google search, it can be misleading. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and we're heading to a quick break of one minute and then we're coming back. So stay with us. There are real consequences to controlled media. 
NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do. So there's the tear gas there. We know the value of a free society. And we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We are NTD. Good morning, welcome to NTD. Good morning, here are today's top stories. The truce between Israel and Hamas ends with rocket fire toward Israel and airstrikes on Hamas targets. How can the U.S. stop Iran from putting pressure on shipping lanes in response to Israel's war on Hamas? A retired colonel tells us the key involves U.S. money and oil to China. And here's a twist. Former CNN anchor Chris Cuomo says he's open to voting for former President Trump. And a man who says he is a co-founder of BLM Rhode Island is backing Trump for 2024. An author makes sense of this. Takeaways from last night's debate between Governors Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis. We'll go over what they sparred about in case you missed it. Dean Phillips is off the Democratic primary ballot in Florida. We'll tell you why and get his reaction coming up. Can Christmas be far away? December is here and the president performed the annual lighting of the national Christmas tree. Get a look at the scene in all its splendor coming up. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome. Today is finally Friday, December 1st, and we're starting off with breaking news in the Israel-Hamas war. Israel's military says it's back on the offensive in Gaza after Hamas violated the terms of the deal to pause fighting. Israel says a rocket launched from Gaza was intercepted by its air defense system about an hour before the deadline. It expired at midnight Eastern time. Sirens in Israeli communities and cities near Gaza have been heard blaring since then. The pause in negotiations broke down after Hamas started producing lists of hostages with less than 10 women and children. The terrorist group claims it couldn't locate enough of them. Entities Jeremy Sandberg has more of the latest updates on the war. Israel resumed airstrikes on Hamas targets in Gaza Friday morning as negotiations to extend the fragile truce wore out. The IDF says its targets remain Hamas terrorists, strongholds, and rocket launch sites. The terrorist group released just eight Israeli hostages Thursday, with two Russian-Israeli hostages that were released Wednesday reportedly accepted as part of the deal. One of the lucky few released Thursday was 21-year-old French-Israeli citizen Mia Shem, an emotional reunion for the woman and her family after being held hostage for over seven weeks. The monstrosity of what Hamas is doing is exactly what we've been saying, like ISIS, we're deeply concerned. However, what I can tell you is we never would have reached the hostage deal that we reached most recently if we had not operationally pressed them militarily on the battlefield. Like President Biden said, Hamas could give a damn about these people. They will only respond to pressure. We are once back again out to destroy them so that they can never commit this crime in Israel again and along the way bring our people home. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on his visit in Israel Thursday declared Hamas cannot be allowed to keep control of Gaza or retain the capacity to repeat the carnage of October 7th, but emphasized the need to minimize civilian casualties. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, after meeting the top diplomat, vowed to continue fighting until Hamas is destroyed. The White House on Thursday clarified it does not support a ceasefire, but would like to see more operational pauses. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby on Thursday addressed the terrorist attack in Jerusalem, saying although it didn't technically violate the deal because it was outside Gaza, it was a stark reminder of the type of enemy Israel faces. At least three people were killed. Hamas has claimed credit. We obviously condemn this terrorist attack, this heinous violence. Just another example uh, of the kind of threat that the Israeli people and the Israeli nation are under by, by Hamas. 
Negotiators assert they intend to press on to get more of the 140-some hostages held by Hamas out. Qatar's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said both sides are continuing talks with the aim of another pause. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And earlier I spoke with Colonel Richard Kemp, a retired British Army commander, to ask about the state of negotiations around the temporary truce and the hostages still in Gaza. Well, I think there was some hope and expectation perhaps that, um, that the, uh, the, the negotiators would try and uh, press Hamas to release more hostages. Um, clearly that didn't happen and I believe that it may well be because it shows in some ways that Hamas is not fully in control of the, the areas of the Gaza Strip that they're still supposed to be running uh, because there are numerous other terrorist groups there who may not wish to cooperate with Hamas over this who will be holding some of the kidnapped hostages. So I think the key issue here is Hamas's weakness. It's been ground down by the idea over the period of the war um, and, and, and was so weak that it insisted on a ceasefire itself. Uh, and I think that the, the inability to find and release more hostages proved that they remain weak. International pressure seems to be growing for Israel because Blinken was also asking for more humanitarian civilian protection plans. What more do you think is there for Israel to do to protect those civilian lives without accidentally protecting Hamas? Well, it's a very tough situation because there's a very large number of civilians now in southern Gaza who have been moved from the north. Um, and, and the IDF has been trying to get them to move into designated safe areas uh, and hopefully that many of them will do so which will allow is the idea of more of a safe run at Hamas but there's undoubtedly there's going to be civil, more civilian casualties despite the efforts that the IDF make because Hamas will ensure that many of the people stay in place and act as human shields for them so it, it's going to be a very bloody fight and unfortunately quite a few uh, civilians will die as unfortunately also I think quite a few IDF soldiers are going to die in the process, as well as Hamas terrorists. Thank you so much for your insights today and your patience, of course. Colonel Richard Kemp, I appreciate your time this morning. The New York Times is reporting Israeli officials had the battle planned for the Hamas attack more than a year before it happened. NTD could not independently verify the information. The report says Israelis allegedly dismissed the battle plan, considering it too difficult for Hamas to carry out. The 40-page blueprint codenamed by Israeli authorities as Jericho Wall did not have a set date. But it was later executed by the Hamas terror group on October 7th. According to the Times, it is unclear whether Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu or other top political leaders saw the document or how the document was obtained. The October 7th attack led to the deaths of about 1,200 people. Former Israeli Ambassador Michael Oren and a woman whose friends and family members were kidnapped by Hamas react. You get a lot of warnings. Uh, of this nature in Israel. We are in a terrible neighborhood uh, and surrounded by enemies on all sides. And so warnings are coming in every day and frankly, all night. And there's a lot of fog and you have to see through the fog and see, okay, what is the real threat here? And it's not always easy. I don't blame the IDF, near, neither the, the commanders, um, but we are very much heartbroken by what happened. Um, and And in many ways, I think it's very important to say that the only one to blame is the terror organization Hamas with the atrocities and, and massacre and kidnapped our loved ones on October 7th. And now for some analysis on the security situation in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. Recently, the Pentagon said missiles from Houthi rebels landed within miles of a U.S. naval vessel that was protecting a tanker from Somali pirates. Earlier, I spoke to Grant Newsham, a retired Marine colonel and senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, about a possible link between Somali pirates and the Houthis. This is what he told me. There's a connection, but the bigger thing to look at is actually what the Houthis themselves are doing, and clearly have been doing, uh, farther up the Red Sea. And the Houthis are Iranian proxies. You have to keep that in mind. Uh, the Somali pirates do operate independently sometimes, but also the Iranians have some connection in there as well. So this is all part of an Iranian effort, actually, uh, to threaten to sort of uh, tighten the, the the flow of international trade of oil. Uh, and that's an implicit threat to the United States, the West, and to Israel.
And how has Israel's war in Gaza fueled those desires? Oh, it's all part of a longer uh, effort by the Iranians to uh, exert their influence uh, closer to Iran in the, the Persian Gulf, in the Straits of Hormuz, uh, harassing shipping, seizing ships as well in recent times, threatening and harassing the U.S. Navy and others. And now they've just moved it, and this is some time ago, they've moved it onto the western side of the Saudi Peninsula. So the concern is, and the likelihood is, that the Iranians will ratchet this up as the Israelis attack in, in Gaza, and then ratchet it down as the Israelis lay off. And that's, that's their objective, whether or not the Israelis cooperate is another point, but the message is as much directed to Washington and the West and to Japan as it is to Israel. So how can the United States bring more stability to the Sea of Adan? Well, the first thing you have to do is stop funding Iran. This administration has given the Iranians billions of dollars. They have used it to fund their activities uh, throughout the Middle East, and including down in the Red Sea, the Sea of Adan, uh, Aden, and also the Persian Gulf. We're funding them. And we are allowing the Iranians to make even more money by selling oil to the Chinese and others. Uh, this is crazy. Uh, and as long as you're doing that, you should not expect to have any real ability to influence what what the Iranians do. Yes, we can push back and hurt them a little bit, but unless you go after the, uh, stop funding the Iranians and actually make there some cost, make them absorb some cost for what they're they're doing, you can't expect to have any uh, real success. And this reminds one very much of what happened in the 80s. We don't seem to learn. You mentioned oil here. So what is at stake if there is not a, an accessible shipping route between these lanes? Well, you can see the, the world depends on it. And this is where an awful lot of it flows is through these two uh, str uh, straits, Straits of Hormuz, and then that very narrow gap between Yemen uh, and Djibouti at the bottom of the Red Sea. And it's not just oil. It's about one third of daily uh, ship travel goes through that strait between uh, Djibouti and Yemen. So you put a uh, hamper, you'd hamper that, you know, close it off, or, or even just make it harder to move. And that has a very serious ripple effect globally, economically, and that potentially causes uh, the free world to ease off of Iran, in which Iran loves it, and we're playing into their, their hand. Well, thank you so much for weighing in on this. Retired Marine Colonel Grant Newsham. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Up next, are voters changing their views about a 2024 Trump presidency? TV host Chris Cuomo, once a vocal critic, now says he's open to voting for Trump. And a Trump endorsement from a man who says he's a BLM Rhode Island co-founder has a national organization seeking to clarify its position. We bring you takeaways from last night's governor's debate with no shortage of mudslinging or open grievances about policies. Left off the Democratic presidential ballot in Florida, that's what happened to presidential hopeful Dean Phillips. We have his reaction. The gag order on former President Trump is back in place in the New York civil fraud trial. What the judge and Trump's attorneys have to say. And a sign Christmas is rapidly approaching. President Biden lit the national Christmas tree last night. We share some highlights with you coming up. Welcome back. Former CNN host Chris Cuomo says he's open to voting for former President Trump if there is a 2024 rematch against Biden. Cuomo made the remark while speaking as a guest on the Patrick Bet David podcast. Cuomo says the first vote he ever cast was for a Republican and that he feels Trump's risk to America isn't any greater than Biden's. He also said, if anything, there's more hostility towards the U.S. now. The co-founder of Black Lives Matter in Rhode Island, Mark Fisher, has endorsed Trump for his 2024 run. The National Black Lives Matter organization says Fisher is not affiliated with their group and called him an imposter. BLM and Black Lives Matter Rhode Island PAC clarified yesterday they do not support Trump. Trump praised Fisher on social media earlier this week, saying he's honored to have such a great guy's support. 
Well, let's take a closer look at these notable instances of unexpected support. We're joined live by Drew Allen, the author of America's Last Stand and vice president of Publius PR. Drew, thanks for coming on the show. We've heard what Cuomo said, and he's saying that there's more data, that the data is the data, and there's more hostility in the international community now under Biden. So, have the current administration's policies contributed to this, in your view? Well, certainly, this is an indefensible administration. I think that's what the takeaway from the Cuomo comments are. This administration is so bad, so miserable. Uh, that even Cuomo is uh, hesitant to come out and defend the Biden administration because he can't do it. And Cuomo joins Cardi B. He joins a long list of people who are dyed-in-the-wool Democrats, people that that vote is just supposed to be expected. You see that in the black community, too. I mean, they feel like they're being taken advantage of. And uh, he's saying... No, I'm actually open. Now, Cuomo, of course, isn't coming out and he's not MAGA and he's, you know, he's not one. He's not like me, but people are now uh, experiencing what I think Trump supporters were forced to kind of feel for a while, which is, you know, they're supposed to be a little bit sheepish about their support because, I mean, how can you support this administration? So, yeah, I mean, people feel it objectively. The data is the data everywhere you look by every metric. uh, This this administration is a historic failure. Well, and echoing his stance there, Cuomo's, is that the House Budget Committee says that Biden's reckless policies are actually contributing to a weakened standing of the United States and is emboldening the enemies. And they point to the botched Afghanistan withdrawal and over 200 million going directly to Gaza when the United States did not cease financial assistance to the Palestinian Authority. Mark Fisher, he's the person who says he is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter Rhode Island, supports Trump. This is something that seems to be pretty unexpected here. And Fisher told Fox News that he understands when someone's for us and when someone's not. And it's obvious the Democratic Party is not for us. So do you think this is just an isolated instance here, Cuomo and Fisher, or are we seeing a trend now? I think we're definitely seeing a trend. And this is a trend that had already been developing back in 2020, where uh, Donald Trump was receiving a lot of the black support. I mean, this is one of the most mind-boggling realities in American politics, which is that, you know, the so-called black vote, I mean, that constituency, if you will, is always overwhelmingly reliable for Democrats. And of course, it's built on a lie that Democrats have told black Americans and Democrat voters and other Americans in this country uh, that, you know, the, the Democrat Party is the cha- are the champions of blacks uh, despite their history. And they do that by lying about, you know, the big switch and so on and so forth. But no, I mean, this is a great thing. We should be opening up our arms and welcoming in people. It's not, and this, and this doesn't mean that, you know, Donald Trump is a supporter of BLM. This is somebody who's opening his eyes. He's living the experience that all of us have, which is unique. See, this is big. We have all lived under a Biden administration and a Trump administration. If you just ask kind of the Reagan question, but say, were you better off under Biden than you, you know, than you were under Trump? No American can objectively say they're better off today than they were under Trump. So this is great. We should be reaching out to these people, talking to them and using this as an opportunity to finally to finally explain to them why the Democrat policies are responsible uh, and tie it to that. It's not accidental. Right. And Fisher said that Trump had done more for the black community than any president I can think of in my lifetime. Why do you think he's saying that? Well, one is he's lived under both administrations economically. You know, this is the big lie, too, from the left, you know, that that, you know, uh, Trump's policies, tax cuts, you know, those are only benefiting the rich. That's not true. Uh, The black community benefited just like every other American in this country under the Trump administration and his economic policies. I mean, remember, under Trump, black unemployment was the lowest in, in, in recorded history. And, you know, he passed the First Step Act, which is something Democrats, you know, never did. They talked about the fact that, you know, marijuana, you know, people, blacks being put in jail over, you know, marijuana sales or use in the past. It was too extreme. So he reduced those sentences. And I think the most important thing Trump did is he talked to black Americans like they were individuals. Uh, he didn't take advantage of them. And, and, and just his stature, his ability to talk and relate to anybody, I think, he would just go and talk to the black community, the so-called black community, if you will. So it kind of eliminated this, this lie that, that a lot of Republicans carry with them, which is you're going into enemy hostile territory because people believe that Republicans are anti-black. You have to prove that you're not racist. Trump, there's not a racist bone in Trump's body. And so by virtue of him being kind of an ambassador for, you know, us, for conservatives, it was great.
Drew Allen, author of America's Last Stand and vice president of Publius PR, thank you for your time. Thank you. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and California Governor Gavin Newsom had their Fox News debate last night. The great red versus blue state debate focused on the governor's policies and how they handled issues like the pandemic lockdowns, abortion, crime and taxes. Newsom fired back at DeSantis after being called a lockdown governor, saying Florida quarantines came into effect before California's. DeSantis also criticized the California governor for a recent bill he signed that allows minors to travel to the state for gender-changing procedures. The fiery 90-minute debate was a bit messy at times. Here's a snippet from last night's event. Well, this is an app where they plot the human feces that are found on the streets of San Francisco. And you see how almost the whole thing is covered because that is what has happened in one of the previous greatest cities this country's ever had. Human feces is now a, a fact of life, except when a communist dictator comes to town. Then they cleaned up the streets. They lined the streets with Chinese flags. They didn't put American flags there. They cleaned everything up. So they're willing to do it for a communist dictator, but they're not willing to do it for their own people. Former President Trump and his lawyers are no longer allowed to comment about court staff in his New York civil fraud trial. A New York appeals court reinstated his gag order yesterday. The judge in the civil fraud trial, Arthur Ngoron, imposed the gag order on October 3rd. It came after Trump accused Ngoron's top clerk of political bias in a post on Truth Social. An appeals court judge temporarily paused the order on November 16th. The order was paused while Trump's lawyers appealed, arguing it infringed on his First Amendment right. Today, the appeals court said it should be restored while the official appeal is pending. Judge Ngoron warned he plans to enforce the gag order vigorously. An attorney for Trump says the appeals court ruling marks a tragic day for the law. And Congressman Dean Phillips is accusing Florida Democrats of disenfranchising voters in the state. That comes after he and other challengers were excluded from a list of official presidential candidates. The Minnesota Democrat is running a long shot primary challenge against President Biden. During the state party convention in October, Florida Democrats voted to submit only Biden's name to the Secretary of State. That was far ahead of a November 30th deadline. A Florida Democratic Party spokesman says the committee did not vote on other names. Under state law, if a candidate is running unopposed in a primary, the contest won't appear on the ballot. Florida Democrats say they followed the standard process for nominating candidates. Phillips said, quote, Americans would expect the absence of democracy in Tehran, not Tallahassee. He called on President Biden to condemn the move and address it immediately. The chair of the Florida Democratic Party said Phillips's comments were unbecoming of someone running for higher office. Shifting gears, Christmas inches closer with the beginning of December and the lighting of the national Christmas tree. The president and first lady Jill Biden participated in the annual lighting of the Christmas tree last night. There was a minor setback earlier this week when heavy winds knocked over the 40-foot Norway spruce on Tuesday, but the National Park Service headed back up by that night. The annual lighting is a tradition that goes all the way back to 1923, making this the 101st time the event has been held. In President Biden's words last night, let's remember how blessed we are as Americans for the gift that is our nation. I'm really grateful for some holiday spirit here. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's really nice. We have the Rockefeller Christmas tree going oh, yeah. up. And apparently in Boston, oh, it's pretty cool to have a president put a, a help light a tree, but in Boston, Santa did it. Oh, good. But, yeah, all right. Really nice. Anyway, so yeah, Christmas um, is coming soon. And we have to wrap up our show here, but we'll keep you updated with the latest information. Stay tuned for our News broad Today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.